Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Man City podcast. On this episode, I caught up with Brian Horton, City Manager from 1993 to 1995. This is probably the most excited I've been for a podcast interview. Brian was the manager in the season I got my first ever season ticket at Main Road and I loved watching his team play. Beagree, Walsh, Rosler, Quinn. They really were great times. Oh, look at that from Beagree. That's real wing play, vintage stuff. Quinn, Walsh is in the centre waiting. Walsh! A few years after Brian was sacked were terrible and the memory of his side kept me believing that we could watch decent football at Main Road again at some stage. So I got his thoughts on his time in charge. What was Peter Swales like? How did he deal with the civil war he found when he arrived? And how badly was his sacking handled? Brian Horton, 2,000 games in football as a player, manager or assistant manager. When you entered the game as a young person, could you ever have imagined that you would be involved in, in so many games? No. Um, I mean, there's only ever three ever done it. So Alex Ferguson, Graham Turner and myself. Um, so from being apprentice at Warsaw 15 to 17, getting a free transfer so that you think the whole world's collapsed, playing part-time football, working on a building. Um, so no, I never ever dreamt that that would come back and and and, and go to the, that many games. But fortunately, Gordon Lee took me to Port Vale from Ensford, and then obviously carried on playing a lot of games and then managing and then being number two, like a director of football role. So just every different role in football. So it's been great. Some people, some players, aren't um, predisposed really to be a manager. Um, when did you realise? in your playing days, that you were the kind of person who could be a coach and a manager? Was there somebody in the game who, who tapped you on the shoulder and said, you've got what it takes, or did you, did you realise yourself? No, I did it myself because I was captain everywhere I went. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of it, I suppose. And then I started doing my coaching badges when I was at, uh, at Brighton when I was about 27, because that's where I was leading up to, 27 to 31, 32 in those days was looking, you know, being an old player, basically. So that's when I started thinking about taking my badges and going into some kind of coaching or managing. You've just brought out a book which chronicles your, your time in football. How did that come about? And was, was that a project reflecting on your career in that way? Was it a project that kind of increased how proud you are almost and, and made you realise all, all your achievements in the game? Yeah, I think... I think reaching a thousand games as a manager uh, was probably one of the best parts of my managerial career, obviously, because there's only about 28 ever done it. So going from playing 700 games to managing over a thousand, and then you start thinking about other things. And people have said to me about doing a book, and 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 it was only when Tim Rich, who I think has done a fantastic job with the book, he came to do um, a book on Man City managers, and obviously my my chapter he didn't. He just said to me, wow, you got some great stories. And he looked into it and then he decided the title, over 2,000 games, which I, which I didn't realise it was over 2,000. And, and it came about like that. And I think he's done a fantastic job on the book. Yeah. The foreword um, by David Pleat, he was obviously a very distinguished uh, person in football. 
He says, uh, I was honored and proud to be asked to pen a forward for this diamond of a man. He was and is without doubt the most influential person I've had the pleasure to be associated, in, uh, associated with in the game. When somebody like David Pleat writes something like that, I mean, how proud does that make you and your family? Well, I was lucky to have Gordon Lee as a manager, who did great. He went on to manage Newcastle and Blackburn. Then I had Alan Mulder at Brighton. Peter Taylor signed me initially, but only played 12 games. So Alan had me for five years as a captain. Promotion, promotion. So I learned off, a lot of Alan. And then going to, to Luton, to David Pleat, learned different types of coaching and man management. And um, we asked him if we'd do the forward. Tim and I drove down to Luton to meet him. And, and he said to Tim, I, I, I don't want to just do it to you. I, I want to actually write it myself, you know. And I think he's fantastic forward. I speak to David every week and all he, all he talks about is football. You know, it's not, oh, have you had a round of golf or have you been to the racing or whatever. Just football, football, football. And I'm, I'm much the same, to be perfectly truthful, but um, I think it's a fantastic start to the book. Obviously, the, the bit that we want to focus on is your, your time at Manchester City, which is managerially probably the, the higher point for you. You were manager of Oxford at the time. Peter Swales presumably approached you to take the job. How did that feel? So to be manager of Oxford and, and for a club like City to come in and, and, and to show interest in you? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it was a move that you know could never turn down. It was John Maddox who actually rang me to say Peter Reid had been sacked. Would I be interested? Could I speak to the Oxford board and get permission to speak to you? So I met John and uh, Freddie Pye um, in a hotel in Stafford, Tillington Hall, for the initial um, you know talk about coming to Man City and then obviously the next step was Peter Swales which I did and then announced on the Friday night when they played Coventry uh, at home at Main Road. Peter Reid had been in charge, there'd been quite a few fifth place finishes and City were kind of looking like they were possibly on the cusp of doing something decent under Peter but then things did start to go wrong. What what did you find when you took over? What what, what was your assessment of the, the squad, the age, the, the the appetite, that kind of thing? What what did you make of it? Well, I had to, I had to react very quickly because I, I was appointed on the Friday and then we're playing Swindon following uh, Tuesday night, I think it was Tuesday. And uh, so a little time to, to breathe, really. We went down to uh, watch a game because uh, we didn't play on the Saturday. Mossy and I drove down to Norwich to watch Swindon play. I didn't need to watch Swindon play because I'd been at Oxford for five years, so I knew them like the back of my hand. Um, so that was a good start for me to go there. So little time uh, to um, to have a massive input into it, but won my first game, won my second game, three and another time to QPR, and all of a sudden we got on a little bit of a roll again. And um, I inherited a good side. Um, you know, Peter had done a great job with them, but that's football because you've had a little bad spell that things things happen. So. Um, initially, I just got those players to uh, to work with, and but great great set of lads, and obviously introduced some of my own uh, players as we went along. United were just starting to have success. You know, Ferguson was um, around this time. The, the the dynasty was was beginning to happen. As a Manchester City manager of that time, were you aware of that? And did it did it kind of increase the pressure a little bit on whoever was in charge of City around that period? Because United was starting to, to look like a, you know, a really, a, a side who could habitually yeah. win trophies. Yeah, they were the team, weren't they? And, and unfortunately, my first derby game, we were two and a little bit half time and we got beat last kick of the game. So that was a real kick in the teeth, that game, because, you know, had we won that, 
and uh, at 2-2 Schmeichel made a, a, a great save from, from David White for us to go 3-2 and they, they broke and scored the, the, the last minute goal so that changed it and then the 5-0 defeat at, at Old Trafford was a, a huge blow but they were the best side in the country at that time and that's that's who, who we're chasing and um, but that's that's football you got to chase and that's why I was introducing you know Peter Beagree Uwe Walshy and I was trying to get some defenders in as well to make us better you know I, not not just because it was defensive players we needed I just needed a stronger squad you know and, and obviously refused so that's when it, it was getting a little bit like you know I wasn't going to be the man that that was going to be there the following season. So that first season you came in, you took over from Peter and obviously um, you saved us basically from relegation in the end. Things weren't looking great, but then we brought in Peter Beagre, Paul Walsh, Uwe Rosler. How important were those three? Let's talk about them individually, actually, because I think they were three great players for City. I mean, Uwe was a bit of an unknown, wasn't he? Tell us about how that deal came about. Um I just got a phone call from an agent and uh, he said, what are, you, what are you looking for? And uh, Niall was injured, he'd done his cruise shit. Um, and I said, I'm looking for a striker. So I've got an East German uh, striker who's had an operation on his ankle and he's looking for a club and he's available to come and train with you play, uh, and play in a, in, in a reserve game. So we had a reserve game on the Tuesday night. He trained with us a couple of days, great attitude. He played in the reserve game. Uh, Francis was there and we, we got him off at half time, signed a, a, a short term contract and he played in the first team on, on the Saturday QPR. So that's, that was a very, very quick one. And obviously he went on to be a fantastic player for Man City and a, and a fan's favourite, you know. Yeah, he's a real hero. So that, that, that trial game or the, the reserve game where he, where he played, he took him off at half time. The reason for that is because you were concerned that he was going to get spotted by others because presumably lots of scouts turn up to, to those types of games. Well, that's how I'd seen Steve Lomas. I mean, Steve Lomas was introducing the side and he, he, my first Monday morning in the football club, I got a phone call from Preston saying that they'd done a deal uh, to, to uh, 100 grand plus Steve Lomas for a player from, from, from Preston. And I said, I'd seen Steve play in the reserves many, many times. And I went, what? We're giving you 100 grand plus Lomas, one of your players, no chance. So I pulled that plug on that one and, and then obviously he broke into the side and him and Flitty were fantastic together. What a, what a good player, Gary Flickcroft. You know, it doesn't always get a mention, but we gave him a five-year contract because he was playing for the under-21s, England under-21s. So they were pivotal to how I wanted to play because it was, it was almost like 4-2-4. I'd brought Nicky Summerby in, Uwe in, Walsh in, Beegs in, and all of a sudden Nicky was... Good player, underrated in my opinion. Again, because Nicky would always work hard. Coming, Biggs was an absolute out-and-out -out winger, and I tried to get Anders Limpar. And we we actually met at the Stanleylands, by where Francis used to live, and we thought we'd done the deal with with Limpar. And the same afternoon, he got a phone call from Joe Royal, and Joe pipped us to him. And then I went racking brains. I said, "Well, you bought Limpar. What about Biggs?" And he went, "Yeah, we, we, we'd sell Biggs now." So I, I rang Francis and said we could get Big Green. We had about three hours to do it. He had to come over from Liverpool to Main Road and talk terms. And we just about did it just, be, just before uh, the deadline. I think we got the better player there, didn't we? Better than Limpar. He, he was outstanding on his day, Biggs. What, what, what I liked about the players, we just mentioned three or four there. Flitty had a, you know, he was competitive, 
diplomas competitive. You know, they had that in, in, in them. Walshie was competitive, Bees was competitive, Uwe, you know, the German mentality where he worked his socks off, Quinny worked his socks off, Nicky, Nicky was like almost a defensive, because he, he played wing back at Swindon, so I knew Nicky would always have a defensive brain where Beegs, no chance. Beegs was just an out and out winger that wanted to play and, and go forward. So yeah, and Paul Walsh was the was was the third one who I've spoken to Paul about this, and he he always says that he's very proud of that period of his career because he felt as an older player, because I think he was in his thirties when he came to City, he felt like there was doubters. You know, people were doubting whether he was good enough, um, and he turned the City fans around completely because he was fantastic for us for the whole time that he was there under your guidance. I mean, what kind of impact do you feel that he had on on the team? I played with him when he was a kid at, at, at Luton and he was young and, you know, he, he always wanted to entertain Walshie, you know, he'd want to be five or six players where sometimes, you you know, you have to, to, to lay it off, you know, one touch, two touch, lay it off. And, and he just got better and better at that. So when I bought him, eventually, he'd been to Tottenham, he'd been to Liverpool and he'd learnt those things and he was a much more complete player when, when, uh, when I, I bought him. But again, what I was buying... And it's not always about the player just on match days. It's people that are good around the dressing room, good off the pitch, good mixes, good team spirit. And apparently, I mean, I, I, I don't care what they do on the spare time, but they used to mix and go to the pub together, go for meals together. And that, that, that generates a good atmosphere within the football club. Yeah. When you came to City then in that, that first season, you taken over from Peter Reid... The club was in a state of civil war, wasn't it, really, with the Francis Lee takeover looming. Peter Swales' reputation with the fans was, was at a low ebb. How did you deal with all that as a manager? Can you block that stuff out or does that, does that impact on no, things? No, I, I had to block it out for my own sanity as well as, as, well as the players, you know, because you, you, it's got nothing to do with you. Eventually, what will be will be. And obviously, what will be will be with me was, was finally getting the sack after that last game. Um, at home um, so you have to block it out you can't lose. you never sleep at night and I always had the ability to do that you know and um, I just set out to enjoy my time at Man City and I think that's the response I got from them because there's so many games that they, they bring up when I do the supporters clubs you know they always bring the same games of course they bring the ones up where we got beat as well but you know the initially the you know the 4-0 Ever uh, Everton West Ham win the, the Tottenham game, which John Watson said was one of the best he ever commentated on. Um, Blackburn away. And we beat Blackburn and our fans probably didn't want us to do because we were almost standing Man United title. <laughs> so it was one of them where they really want us to win. But I, I, can't, I watched that game back. It's pouring down with rain. We were magnificent that night. Yeah. And um, there was games like that, which, which gave me great pride, really. you know, And that's the big thing about when I go to these places that people recognise the football that I was trying to bring. How did you find Peter Swales then? Because uh, his, his sort of stock with the fans had fallen, but you say in the book that you found him an ideal chairman, really, because he was a chairman who would leave a manager to, to manage the team, which obviously, for, from your perspective, is, is exactly what you want, isn't it? He did. Um, I'd, I'd been fortunate in my, in my career, really, because going to Hull when I was 34 as player manager, Don Robinson, who, who was a uh, self-made multimillionaire, he never interfered in anything in football. He said, I don't know anything about football. 
And that's why he made me a director of the football club. He said, I wanted you to run the football club. He lived in Scarborough. I don't want to be coming down every day of the week. You run it, you run it. So that's what he made me. So there was a first one. I don't think there's been one since. Uh, and then, ironically, he had to, I had to resign as being a director before he could sack me when I eventually went. And it was a shame because I had five years and good years with him. So then I go to Oxford after I went with Mark initially, Mark Lawrenson, and then Mark resigned, well, threatened to, and they, they, they paid him off. And then five years with Maxwell's and Kevin was the same. Kevin Maxwell, not one bit. I mean, that's what we pay you for. You you do the deals, you choose the players. You know the boundaries. I knew the boundaries, where I could go financially. And when I came to City, Peter Swells, that was the exact words he said to me. Do you do, you do all the transactions? And I said, oh, well, I've done them for 10 years now. And he said, great, I want some, my manager to be doing that, you know. Um, so that's what I did. And I got on great with him. You know, Freddie Pye was on the board. who was good. John Maddox was chief, chief executive. And people... People made out that I was John Maddox's friend for coming up. I knew John was a journalist, and I believe he helped Mark Lawson get the job at, um, at Oxford, and probably helped me get the job when Mark uh, went. But he, was, he, wasn't, he, he became a friend, but he wasn't a friend that, that you know, like my best friend, oh, I'll get you into Man City. It wasn't like that. It was a football decision. So I was just left alone, and it, it's, that's, for me, how it should be. It's changed dramatically now in, in football because you have director of football, you have, you know, people that are doing the transfer deals and everything. So it's, it's totally different and bigger now, obviously, with the introduction of Sky, which came when I was at Man City. It's, it's, it's miles bigger. Do you think you could work under a director of football system? Do you think people, you know, sort of your uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, that, that type of manager who back in the day, it was you controlled most aspects, whereas now it's they're pretty much a coach, aren't they, really? Yeah. They just coach the team and prepare the team. Could you work in that way? That's the right word now. The, the, the coaches, aren't they? Yeah. You know, OK, they still have an input. I'm sure Pep has an input into the players that, that come into Man City, but... Um, they're, they're helped by those people, and I think it takes the weight off them. So, you know, if Pep says, I want so-and-so from Barcelona, um, i.e. say Messi, then it's taken out of his ends, and it's the, to the financial people to, Go to sort the deal deals done. out. Yeah. yeah. So what was the difference then with, because uh, you say Peter Swales left you alone and allowed you to manage. Francis, the impression I get is that he, um, he was more involved, particularly being an ex-player, which obviously not all chairmen are. A lot of them are just a, a businessman. The fact that he played the game, did that create a, a different dynamic between you and him as when he was chairman? Initially, no. Um, you know, we got on well. In fact, my, my kids went to the same school as his kids, so we were quite good friends in it. My son played the same cricket team as his older son. And, and, and we were OK initially. Um, I think he just got frustrated to see that some of them probably weren't up to the standard as him. And I said that to him, you know, you, you were a top, top player. Some of these uh, will never be as good as you. And I think, I think he found it hard in that respect, you know. Um, he, he got involved, not so much picking the team all the time. He wanted to say, I understand that sometimes as well. But at the end of the day, the manager has to be the one to make those decisions because at the end of the day, it's his head that's on the chopping block if things go wrong. Yeah. Your second season then, because we, we stayed up, obviously, um, you kept us in the in the Premier League. And then your second season, which was your full season at City, we started unbelievable. I mean, you mentioned some of those games before. The one that really stands out is the Tottenham 
5-2, which is, I think for a lot of people, the best game they saw at Main Road. And as you said, John Motson, probably one of the best games he's commentated on. He's commentated on thousands. I mean, that was a really good Tottenham team. And we just, it was two attacking teams. I mean, that must have been amazing to be to be part of that. Well, I was staying in Mottram Hall at the time because because Peter Swales had said to me about not moving my family from Woodstock to Manchester because of the takeover and whatever. So I was actually staying in Mottram Hall and they were staying in Mottram Hall on the Friday night. So I had a drink with Ozzy and, and, and Steve Ferryman, who was his, his number two. And uh, Dimitrescu, Petrescu, Sheringham, Barmby. I mean, their side was full of top, top class players. So, Jürgen Klinsmann. So, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're expecting a, a hard game and we're expecting an open game because what they were. What they, they were. But we, we, we were magnificent that day. I watched it, I watched it over and over again. When I, you know, I've got it... Uh, serially <laughs> if I wanted myself cheering up I, I put that on but people people mention that all the time it's the one game I think that people do genuinely believe is one of my best games whilst I was at City I mean Paul Walsh that day he had a he had a point to prove didn't he to, to his former side because he was absolutely inspired he wanted to prove a point to Tottenham but that's Walsh that's, that's what he's like he's spiky you know and that's that's what I liked in as I said before the players I brought in Bees was incredible at Nile that the attacking, the attacking side that day was 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 unbelievable. Um, but I had, I had good choices, didn't I? Fortunately, Nile did his cruise ship, which I said before. So that I had to sell Mike Sharon um, because of the of the kickbacks going and that big stand going, so which I didn't want to do because he was he was the England under twenty one international. Um, so I was having to have a little bit of a change around as well at that time. But some of the football was was fantastic. I used to love watching it myself, you know and. Um, and it's great when you get credit and people coming up to you and saying about those games. You know, of course they'll say, which I've said earlier about some of my, my defeats and the defeat against QPR on last Saturday. You know, I, I went mad at Alan Kernahan because he cost us the goal, and and they're probably thinking, what, why, why, why are you going so mad? You know, because we just okay, we've lost one 0 It's the end of the season. We're okay. And then when it came out that I'd gone, I knew I was going. That they realised why I'd gone mad at the end of the game. Yeah. You must have been frustrated as well at that time that you couldn't get Tony Cotton on the pitch because he was one of the best goalkeepers in the country. He had a, a shoulder, persistent shoulder injury and you couldn't play him anywhere near as much as you would have liked. And obviously that was the days when City didn't necessarily have a budget that allowed for top quality two or three players in every position like they, like they do now. And the drop-off from Cotton to Dibble was was a big one. I mean, if you'd have been able to get him on the pitch a bit more and maybe brought in an additional defender, we were on the cusp of having a very decent side, weren't we? Yeah, I had Martin Margeson as well, who was the third choice goalkeeper. Martin was only just coming you know, through the ranks. He was far too young to be classed as a number one. Um, and, and, and Dibs, Dibs was, was great again in the dressing room, but you're talking about Tony Cote and you're talking about one of the key, best keepers in England. And again, one of the best people you know, in the dressing room, he was fantastic. He had a great sense of humour. Talk and shout and have a go at people if they weren't doing the, the jobs right. And that's what I wanted in people. And so he was, he was without a shadow of a doubt, a, a massive miss for us. Yeah. When you took the job, there was the famous headline of Brian Who, which I don't want to dwell on such a stupid headline, but you mentioned in the book that there, there was a bit of... Um, <sighs> It was a lack of appreciation for what you'd done in the game and that that frustrated you. I mean, why was there such ignorance, do you feel, towards your appointment? I think 
out of all the all the reports who used to come, it was one particular guy that wouldn't let go all the time I was there. And uh, he came up with the Brian Hooting, and I went, well, I've done promotion in my first year when I was 34, so I was player manager the first year, and four years in the championship, five years in the championship at Oxford United. Hang on a minute, I've just done 10 years apprenticeship, you know, and I think I deserve a chance. And I think that's part of the parcel, part of the problem now, that a lot of good English young managers don't always get the opportunity to do what I, I did. And so even somebody more experienced managers never had the opportunity to go and manage at a top club. So um, that that was how people were looking at it, Brian Hill. And I went, oh, so you don't re remember me, the fact that I played for Luton Town when that I was captain when we put Man City down? Not that I'm bragging about it, because it's one of those things, but that was a, a great result in my football career. So that's what I said. But it was one, it was one guy in particular that wouldn't let go. No matter yeah. what I did, he wouldn't let go. Yeah. Which I found hard to take, to be fair, you know, because, you know, give people a chance. Yeah. You know, you can't just shoot somebody where, well, hang on a minute, so I've been at Oxford United, a championship side, so and they've been in the Premier, and you don't know who Brian Orton is. I, I had no time for him. Yeah. What do you think happened the second half of that, that, five, that second season? Because we, we were doing very well. We were up in top six, top eight for much of it, because some of our home uh, performances and results were fantastic. But then... After December, I think we only won four games. Now, yeah. two of them were Blackburn, who were about to win the league, yeah. which we'll come to because that was a great night, and Liverpool. But to win four, that, that was where the problem was, wasn't it? What do you think you needed? What, what, what would you have needed to have, to have avoided that? This is what I was um, asking the board for, and particularly the chairman. Could I, could I before obviously the deadline, could I, could I bolster the team? I need some players. You know, Quinney's been out. Uh, Tony's been out, uh, Uve'd been out, and I hadn't got a big enough side. I was putting young kids in to do men's job in the Premier League that weren't really up to it at that time. So that's where I, when I eventually knew that I wasn't going to be here next season because they, they, they wouldn't give me the money to, to bolster the team, and that was the biggest problem. Tell me about the Luis Figo uh, deal, because this is probably one that not everybody knows, that we were... Or you were alerted to to this young player. He was he was a young player at the time. Um, you went to watch him and, and you liked the look of him and, and tried to get a deal done. What was the give, give us the backstory to that? Well, Malcolm Allison used to come down to watch games and Francis used to look after him great. And um, I'd always go up, up whether win or lose, I'd always go up to the boardroom after and, and, and Malcolm was in there and uh, I steeped in football and he used to love being in his company. And he actually said to me, Brian, have you seen Louis Figo? Because of his Portuguese connections, he'd heard of this boy. And uh, and I said, no, because it's not like it is now on TV that you can watch all the foreign games. You can watch, you know, um, and get get feedback from wherever he's playing. At that that sport in Lisbon, wasn't he? Sport yeah. in Lisbon. And um, I said, no, I haven't. I said, but uh, I'll, I'll check it out. So I got my secretary, Julia, to to make some phone calls, find out when he'll be playing next or where they're playing or whatever. And she came back and said, uh, Portugal are playing in uh, in Northern Ireland. And then I spoke to somebody else that, yeah, he, he'll be playing. Um, and so Tony Book and I, off we went, flew over to Ireland, watched him play. Wow, what a player. So I came back and I said to, to Francis, you know, whatever it takes, try and get him if we can. And we got his agents, some English agents involved, met him at the Stanley Lands again. Uh, the agents, not him, just agents talking about what it was going to be. And it, 
it, it, it was just too rich. It was just too much. But what a what a great coup that would have been if we could have pulled that one off. Yeah. He went on to go over to an unbelievable career, didn't he? Absolutely. So that's what we're doing. I was trying to, you know, bring some top players into the football club at that time, you know. And then that, I just want to talk about that Blackburn game individually because it was, uh, I think it was a Monday night football. It was on Sky. They were champions elect. It was muddy pitch. We were 2-1 down um, and won the game 3-2 and it was just a, a fantastic occasion. I mean, tell us about your team selection that night because I know Peter Beagrie wasn't involved and Paul Walsh played to the left and, and you were sort of not in the dugout. You were looking at it from, from afar. What was, what was your feeling that night? We beat, we beat Liverpool on a good Friday. They'd won the cup the week before and they had asked us if they'd switch it from the Saturday to the Friday. And, and Bernard Olford, who was fantastic with me at, at, at the football club, spoke to Bernard about it, or he spoke to me about it. And then we said to Francis about taking them on, on the Friday, which we did. And, and Maurizio Gaudino scored with a diving header late on, beat them 1-0. What a player he was, by and the way. what a good player he was. And then, so I'd give them the Saturday off. Um, we got a phone call on the Sunday morning. We we're going to train on Main Road before play on the Monday to say uh, Maurizio had got a virus and, and, and couldn't play or take part on the Monday. So I, I wasn't going to play him. It's, it's easy for me to say that now, but I wasn't going to play him. I, uh, Fitzroy Simpson came in uh, into midfield instead of Maurizio and left Beags out, which was <laughs> hard doing. <laughs> He'd always have his say. And I played Walshy, so I went Nicky Summerby. Winnie, Uwe, Walshie on the left. Walshie went, I've never, I've never played there. I've never always been a striker. And I just said to him, don't, don't play there. Just go and go where you want to go. If you want to go in between the strikers, if you want to end up past them. And he, he, they couldn't handle him. They couldn't handle that front four that night. And it was just a great game of football. I sat, I virtually knew I was going at this time. And so I decided not to sit with, with um, David Moss and Tony Book and I sat behind not in the stand actually but just behind about 12 rows back and I just enjoyed the football without shouting and bawling and I just and I fancied us that night to be honest because we were good against some so-called better teams, teams at that time mm. and obviously we came out winning and um, I took them back to the hotel where we'd stayed in the afternoon for a, for a drink after and they couldn't understand why until I told them the reason why um, that I, I wasn't staying and I wanted to buy them a drink for producing such, such a good performance. It was. It was a, a fantastic evening. Tell us about Gaudino then, because he was a, it was interesting, wasn't he? He was such a, a classy player. How did that deal come about? Again, through an agent, and um, you know, he'd been in the German World Cup squad, and um, just got a phone call about him, checked him out, and uh, and just took him. Very, very talented footballer. Swarty, long black hair, and very talented footballer. But sometimes he wouldn't do the defensive side that I wanted him to do, i.e., which 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 Flitty did and Steve Lomas did. He was a, he was a luxury player, but if you play him at home, which he scored that day, fantastic away from home. So I, I I probably wouldn't have played him. It's easy for me to say that now, but I probably wouldn't have played him anyway at Blackburn. So you said you knew uh, you were going because you weren't backed in the transfer market at certain points and that was the feeling. Um, how did you find out and, and what, what's your version of events of, of how, how it unfolded? Because we've, we've heard from Francis, uh, his version, which we'll come to in a minute, but what, how, how did you see it? What was your... 
I'd gone down to a league manager association dinner on the Sunday night um, after after we played the last game, and uh, uh, David Moss, who was my assistant, we'd been to the dinner, stayed over, and uh, next morning um, I'm going out for breakfast, and I'm sure it was Frank Clark. I can't I can't be hundred percent, but I'm sure it was Frank. And he said to me, Brian, how are you? I said, I'm all right. Why? What's the, what's the problem? He said, Have you not seen the national papers? I said, No, I haven't. Why? He said, Well, showed me. Brian Orton sacked at Man City, so. That was the first I heard about it. So I tried to get hold of Francis, couldn't get hold of him. Eventually got Julia, my secretary, to get hold of him. And I went to his house um, and uh, just didn't like the way it was done, basically. If, he, if he'd have told me face to face before he comes out, that, that's fine, you know. But I had two young kids that found it hard, they, you know, because the press at that time were then round my house on the, Monday, on, the, um, on the Monday morning, Monday evening. You know, and, it, and it's not nice for them or for me to hear it that way. I was going to say, and also for you, because you're somebody who you've put a lot into the game. You don't expect to to find the news out in the newspapers before you've been told yourself. It sort of goes against the, the moral code of the game, doesn't I it? I feel so. I feel so. And, I, and do you know, I always uh, have had this in my managerial career because I got a free transfer when I was 17 and it, it, it broke my heart. I thought, oh, that's the end of my career. And I've always always wanted to be and if we're telling kids or we're telling somebody that I'm going to let them go I always do it face to face and it's very very hard harder with younger players and senior players so I, I'm of that uh, era that wanted it if, I, if I'm going just tell me face to face that's no problem just sort it out let's be right you know I've got a contract do it properly and that's what I'd always done and it wasn't done like that and it was just sad really to to hear it that way. Yeah. I mean, Francis's version of events is that you went to a league manager's um, meeting. He held an evening with the Blues, which was a, a separate event, and that somebody uh, on the board, one of the directors, uh, their son leaked it to Malcolm Allison, who then sold this story to the son. And then because of the furore that was caused by that story being sold, it then left him in a position where he had to, to get rid of you. But, you, I mean, your version obviously conflicts with that and you feel like you were getting the signs leading up to the end of the season anyway you know you were saying at the Blackburn game you you thought it was thought it was over didn't you I've been in management a long time a football a long time that I can I can read into situations you know without going too far into yeah. it but um, I'd got the vibes and when you get the vibes because they won't let you progress and you know I wanted a new left back I wanted another centre half I wanted maybe another midfield player to compete with those two you know which would have taken some beating to be fair but if, you, if you're not getting those answers then you know somewhere along the line you know it's you, you're not going to be there for too long and I'm sure you took given the person that you are you took no pleasure in City's decline thereafter because things after you left went you know um, went one way and that was downwards um, I mean Alan Ball came in and, and essentially did, whether it was his decision or, or the chairman at the time or whatever all the best elements of the team were sold rather than what you were trying to do which was add to the best elements I mean why what, what, how confused were you by some of the decisions transfer decisions that were made after you'd gone well I, I was because you know the, the players you know, I'd give them Gary Flickcroft a five year deal um, with Peter as well as you say so. Um, Steve Lomas, long-term contract, was trying to tie other people down. Keith Curl, a five-year deal he got, um, who was, again, good in the dressing room. And so you're trying to build your own team and then, you know, if, if you're not being able to do that and you know those players that, that were being sold and they're bringing lesser players in for me, 
that's where it all started. You know, Walshie was sold to Portsmouth in in a in a, in, in a deal with 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 uh, Jerry Craney. I think it was money plus Walshie for Jerry Craney. Yeah. Um, Flitty went to Blackburn. Tony Carton goes to Man United. All of a sudden, Nuve was out of favour. It was almost like, what? Why are you breaking that team up? Do you know what I mean? So no, not at all. Did it give me pleasure? It was a team that I'd, you know, put together and not far away from being a really, really good side. And all of a sudden, I see it crumbling from, you know, I've gone to Huddersfield then, which is a good move for me. And because uh, I could stay in Manchester and commute to there. But, but it, you know, I'd worked hard to get to Man City to be in that top echelon of managers. And I just felt I needed a bit more time, you know, yeah. to, to prove even more that I could do it at that level. What about the city that we see today? I mean, I know you're a regular a visitor. Um, what, how do the club look after you and, and treat you and, and stuff like that these well, days? I, I still do things for them. I go to the round to the, 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 the supporters' branches and do a talk and never charge and just look after a couple of my mates come who are massive Man City fans. So just look after sort of a couple of beers and da, da, da. And, and so they know that I do things like that. So when I ring up for tickets, they, they look after us fantastic. You know, so, uh, and I'm missing it at the moment because, you know, I love watching them play and what Pep's done is, is incredible. Um, and, and I want to go and see them train, which I'd asked him about when, it, when I met him at uh, Vincent Company's testimonial uh, dinner. And he, he just come over to say happy birthday to me, which was fantastic for him thing to do. And I just said to him, I'm, I'm loving watching you play. I come a lot. I want to see you train anytime you want. Make arrangements. I'm trying to do. Obviously, can't do it at the moment because of the pandemic. Yeah. So they look after us fantastic. It's a fantastic football club, you know. And um, not just me, they look after. They still look after a lot of other people. And credit to the owners and the way they do things is just top notch. Yeah. And what about the? I mean, you, you sort of touched on it there, but the football that we play under Pep. I mean, you as somebody who during your time at City played very attacking football and it was about entertaining. You must be loving seeing what he's done to the team just incredible and i've heard people say about how he is in in training how demanding he is and you can see that the way they play i mean i, I being a midfield player nowhere near de bruyne and i was delighted last night he won the, the players player of the season um just to just to watch him the quality of his passing his energy everything aguero you know wingers when they're playing and sterling and when they're playing some, some football, they do, and they play from the back of it because that's the way Pep wants them to be. Um, just incredible football and just love watching them. And just one final question. You, you mentioned Bernard Halford before, who um, we very sadly lost um, recently. I mean, I've not yet met anybody in football who's not got amazing things to say about Bernard. I mean, what was your experience of working with him and, and him as a person? From day one, Bernard was on my side. Bernard, um, and I believe with other managers, exactly the same. He treated everybody the same. He never got involved politically about team selections. He worked tremendously well with Peter Swales. And from day one, we hit it off and he was fantastic. I still see his wife, Karen, and his family at, at the games because they like, get looked after great as well. And he, he was just... He was just city through and through, wasn't he? I've still, I've got a couple of scarves in there. I've got the red and black one he got, and the blue and white one, and and his cap. Yeah. You know, he was just a true, true gentleman that never 
interfered with any decision or questioned any decision you wanted about football because that, that's what he thought, that's your job, that's my job and he just did it to perfection basically. Brian Horton, 2,000 games, a life in football. Your book is out at the moment, which I would implore all City fans to read. It's a great, great thing to, uh, to, to dive into. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Man City podcast. And thank you, of course, to Brian Horton for giving us his time and being so honest. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to the Man City podcast. There are plenty of other episodes available for you to listen to right now, including interviews with Joe Royal and Andy Morrison, Paul Lake and his wife Joe, Dennis Stewart, Francis Lee and Brian Marwood. They're all available now wherever it is you do your podcast listening. You can find more content like this on mancity.com or download the official Man City app. Thanks for taking the time to listen and hopefully you'll join me again soon.